0: As we continue our worship through, by looking into the word, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter eleven, verses thirty-seven through fifty-four is where we'll be this morning. Luke eleven, thirty-seven to fifty-four. Due to the length of uh, the text, we'll read it uh, within the sermon this morning. But <clears throat> let's pray one more time as we come to God's Word. Father in heaven, we <clears throat> thank you for your word. <clears throat> we pray that your word would go forth and not return void, <clears throat> that as it's proclaimed, that you would cause your word to do its work in the lives of everyone who hears. May your spirit go before us, Lord, and do a work and through communicating through me, but do a work through the ones who are hearing, and help us, Lord, to all hear your word. And Father, that we would consider what you are saying to each of us, that we would live our lives in accordance with your word, that you may be glorified and honored. Oh, guard us, Father, from pride and humil- pride and arrogance, that prevent us from hearing Your Word. Give us heart of humility, a heart of uh, a self-examination before Your Word. And Lord, we pray <clears throat> that You would be glorified as Your Word does its work in the lives of Your ch- in the of the people and the members of Your Church. We pray that if there's anyone here who uh, this morning who does not yet know Jesus Christ, even we pray that through The preaching of this sermon, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That they would cast their cares and burdens of sin upon you and come to experience the saving grace that is found in Christ. These things we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, we read these words. James writes, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What we learn from these two verses in James is that there's, there is a kind of religion That is worthless before God. And that there is a kind of religion that is worthy in the sight of God. It is possible to be religious and not right with God. And what makes it worse is that one can be so religious and not right with God and not even be aware of it. One can deceive his or her own heart. James' warnings to his readers is exactly what Jesus warned throughout his earthly ministry. And it is the focus of our passage today. It is a warning passage. It was, it was a warning for those <clears throat> who were listening to Jesus' words at the moment. It is a warning to those readers of Luke's gospel when he, when he wrote it. <clears throat> and it is a warning to all of us who hear the words of Jesus today. It would be terrible to go throughout life thinking that one is right with God and then at the end of their life appear before the throne of Christ and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. All along, in reality, we were not right with God. We were religious, yes, but we were not right with God. Today's passage serves as a sobering warning To religious people like me and like you to examine our lives to ensure that we are not self-deceived, that our religious, that our religion, our religious practices would reflect a right relationship with God. This passage, 37 to 54, is, a, is the end of a section in, in Luke, of, a, this, of Luke 11, verse 14 to 54. It's a section where Jesus has been addressing the skepticism and objections in, of his ministry. Jesus, in heading toward Jerusalem, f- begins to face increasing uh, rejection and opposition to him. And on the occasion of an exorcism of a demon, uh, out of a, a, a demon-possessed man, some in the crowd had accused him of being in league with Satan, while others demanded of him a sign from heaven. Jesus, uh, in his authoritative way, masterfully addresses the crowd's accusation in verses 17 to 28, and then their demand in verses 29 through 36. Jesus could run circles around the crowds, but how would he fare with those who are the experts, the religious leaders of their day? Here at a meal at the home of a Pharisee, along with some scribes, Jesus shows his wisdom and insight among the religious leaders and teachers of Israel. The key word in this passage is the word woe. It is used by Jesus six times here. And the word is an exclamation of deep grief or sorrow over those who fail to recognize the misery of their condition. It's not just a word of of judgment. It's a word of warning. And Jesus woes upon these religious leaders service warnings for us today, especially those of us who, like the Pharisees and scribes, are religious. And more especially for those of us among us who are religious teachers of God's word. And then as an outline for us today, we're going to find three warnings or three woes for religious people to consider so that we may not be those who are self-deceived in our faith. That we would make sure that we're not just religious people, but we are, right. we are people who are religious and right with God. And so let's take a look at this text. In verses 37 to, 54, to 44, we find the first warning now the first warning is a woe to hypocritical hearts. A woe to hypocritical hearts. The story begins with the setting in verses 37 to 38. And here in the setting, we are introduced to a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Verse 37 38. We read this. Now, when he had spoken, or really literally it says, as Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonious, ceremonially washed before the meal. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, a Pharisee invites him to lunch. And the Pharisees, sometimes they, they get a bad rap, in my opinion. Uh, they're often the enemy, portrayed enemy is spoken of. And, and they were, in the sense, because they were, in many ways, opposed, often opposed Jesus. But in many ways, as well, they are a lot like us today those who are religious devout people, devout followers of God who desired basically to live holy lives in accordance to the word of God. Their name meant separate ones. They made And because they were separate ones, they wanted to be holy and they made great effort to keep the law of Moses, the law of God. You could say that they were the Bible believing and keeping people in that day. They thought, though, sadly, that because they they kept the law, because they did so well in keeping the law as well as the many's respective traditions, they thought that they were better than the common Israelite. They thought of themselves as those who were filled with light, filled with righteousness and truth. But in reality, they were the ones whom Jesus warned about in verse 35. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. On this occasion, the Pharisee, The Pharisee host is surprised when Jesus enters and and reclines at the table without, of all things, ceremonially washing his hands. Mark chapter 7, verse 3 to 4 explains the tradition. This is not about being actually a matter of cleanliness. This is a matter of being spiritually clean, purified, pure. Mark chapter 7, look at Mark chapter 7, verse 3 and 4 with me. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And so these Pharisees, before they ever ate, they always they always wash their hands carefully. And it was a part of the traditions that they received from the elders and from this, the previous teachers of the law. Verse 4 And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And so they were so concerned about being uh, uh, ceremonially clean clean, that they made sure that even when they came home from the marketplace, and this sounds kind of familiar to us today, when they started cleaning everything about they cleaned their clothes, they cleaned their hands, and they made a a big effort in cleaning everything in their household, cleaning their cups, cleaning their pitchers, cleaning their pots, so that they would be not, in a sense, uh, clean as we think of today, but to be ceremonially clean, to be ritually clean. Now keep in mind, none of these rituals that they observed were commanded in the scriptures. They were the traditions of the elders. Over time, uh, the, in desire to keep the law of God to remain ceremonially pure, they developed an elaborate system of washings. And even today, there are many devout Jews who will still keep and observe these, the ceremonial washing of hands before they eat special bread. The Pharisees turned the tradition of cleansing rituals into a religion. This was how one could be holy before God. So when Jesus here does not wash his hands, everyone in the room immediately just their jaws drop because Jesus here is supposed to be a teacher. He portrays himself as a teacher. But here in their minds, they had judged him for being the same as a lawbreaker. He, He is essentially being unclean. Worse, because he has not washed by sharing a meal with the Pharisees, he was, he was rudely about to make them unclean as he touches everything around the table and pollutes them and corrupts them. Though it's not quite the same thing, but we get the same sense even today about how we might judge others, especially in this pandemic of those who go out and, oh, rudely, they don't wear a mask or, oh, they don't, they don't observe social distancing. I've watched people get really upset. When people don't keep their six feet distancing, and someone's like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're practically, you're polluting me, you're infecting me." And that's what these Pharisees thought of Jesus, that he was being unclean, and therefore, and he was corrupting them, making threatening them of uncleanliness. Now, they, he didn't. Now, keep in mind, the Pharisee does not say a thing. He's just simply surprised. And everybody else is probably surprised. Without hearing a word from his host, Jesus knows this host's thoughts. And he responds in verse 39 to 41 with a, a general warning. Verse 39. And this is the, the warning that he, he, Jesus addresses to the Pharisee, but really to all that is in the room. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. In these three verses, Jesus really gets at the heart of the matter for all all these religious leaders and teachers it is uh, the it is he is pointing out their hypocrisy he speaks directly he speaks strongly to the pharisees out of a loving compassion for them jesus often gave his strongest words for those who were the religious leaders of israel these were those who should have known better these were those who were teachers of the law these were those who influenced others others looked up to but jesus points out their hypocrisy He points out that they are so concerned about washing things, cleaning cups and platters to be ceremonially pure, but they have forgotten about the more important thing, that inside they were full of greed and wickedness. Jesus calls them out for being foolish. Here, you're you're majoring on the minors when you're missing the major. He asked them a rhetorical question. Didn't God make the outside as well as the inside of man? Of course, yes, he he made all of man. The implication is, wouldn't God be as concerned for the inside as He is for the outside? They're all worried about touching things and, and being unclean when it is, it is the inside that they should be concerned about. Now, Jesus, no, Jesus does not, uh, does not uh, cast away the law. He does acknowledge the law's rules on ceremonial purity, dealing with the external matters. But at the same time, He is driving the Pharisee to see that they can't neglect the inside. In fact, what does the scripture say? 1 Samuel 16, 7. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at what? The the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. What's inside. Man tends to focus on externals. We evaluate somebody just by first glance about who they are. and Maybe a little bit. We judge them already. But God does not judge by an outward appearance. He judges upon the heart. These Pharisees had prided themselves on their ritual purity by keeping their traditions. But they had neglected their actual purity. They were greedy and they were wicked. Verse 41 is somewhat challenging to interpret. Jesus tells them instead here to give the things within as charity or alms. For the Pharisees, charity or almsgiving is an old school word, was often an external act of giving to the poor, they would give to the poor, but they would do it in such an external way that they would everybody would see, and so that all the men would see them and would honor them. It's like how people today, when they give to charity, and they make sure that their publicist makes it known to everyone, so that oh, look at so and so, this famous person gave so much to this charity, and this person all oh, gave so much and threw a big, a big, uh, big thing, and, up, and therefore they collected a lot of money as they were uh, as for charity. What a wonderful job they are, they did. Jesus called out the hypocrisy of those who sounded a trumpet when they gave alms in Matthew chapter 6 verse 2. In contrast here Jesus is saying, "Let your almsgiving, let your charity be the giving that is from the heart. That is with a genuinely generous and loving heart. Give what is on the, from the inside. The inward heart attitudes are the true alms that one gives." If you're not giving your heart when you're giving to the poor, you're not really giving in a way that honors God. See, it's the difference between giving to the poor to be seen by others or even to make yourself feel good. I did a good deed. Pat myself on the back. Versus giving to the poor out of a genuine love for God and your fellow man because that person is created in the image of God. Therefore, I love them as God loves them, and I will share with them as God would share, has shared with me. The one who gives this in this way reflects a right relationship with the Lord. And therefore, Jesus says, Thus, such a person who gives, <coughs> gives from within that uh, alms uh, charity, as charity, then he says, all things are clean to you. You don't have to worry about these external things because it reveals that you already have a right relation with God. You're already outwardly right with the Lord. Inwardly you are pure. See, Jesus' warning to the hypocritical Pharisees challenged them to not just focus on outward rituals. They were being hypocritical because inwardly, which they should have been focused, they were all caught caught up in greed and wickedness. They're so concerned about being pure when the reality is that their inward attitudes made them unclean. Jesus would say in Mark 7.15, There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Don't be hypocritical in our service and worship to the Lord. We may go through the motions of doing everything outright, outwardly. But if inwardly we're filled with sin, we're greed or wickedness. Those things, that which comes out of the man, that's what defiles us. It's not the things on the outside. And that was Jesus' warning. Uh, and that's Jesus' general warning to, the, to these Pharisees. And then in verses 42 to 43, 44, Jesus proceeds to point out several specific warnings in relation to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Specific warnings. Verse 42 to 44. Verse 42, first, there's three, three specific warnings here, uh, three woes. He says, verse 42, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus pronounces woe upon the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy of giving without loving. The scriptures had instructed the Israelites to give a tithe of their harvest. Uh, it was a, a, to be give a 10% of, the, of their harvest. And the Pharisees took it further and they, they became hyper tithers. They gave a, a tenth of even the smallest of their produce. Even the, the garden herbs, they would give a tenth of it. And In doing so, they thought that they were honoring God. But all the while, while they were doing that, they were so concerned about doing that, they were neglecting the more important things like justice and the love of God. Justice, you know what justice is? Justice is when, uh, is really loving your neighbor. Justice is seeking that which is fair, that which is right for others. And it is an act of love for your neighbor. Jesus is warning here to these Pharisees. It's like, for, it's like for us today, coming every week to church, giving our offering to the Lord, but then leaving here and treating our fellow man poorly, or living your life seeking your own pleasures instead of the pleasures of God. That is a hypocrisy. Your sacrifices, your offerings, they are worthless before God if inwardly we're not loving our fellow man, and inwardly we're not loving God. Secondly, verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, Jesus continues, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The Pharisees here, Jesus condemns them for being full of pride as a result of the hypocrisy. They love to be honored. They love the places of honor. They like to be, to be praised, to be recognized for how, uh, they love the respectful greetings that they would receive. They love the titles that they could be called. Oh, great Reverend Pastor Henry Tam the most honorable, great one, something like that. Their hypocritical external piety was a means of making themselves really feel superior to others. And 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 this danger that they fell into is a danger that many Bible-believing Christians can fall into too. It's a danger when you know that you have the truth. And certainly we do have the truth because the Bible is right here before us. And anyone who comes to the Word of God can look to it and find God's truth. But there is a danger, because when you have the truth, then, even when you believe you have the truth, you can sometimes tend to think that you're better than others who don't have that truth. In reality, all of us who have the Word of God, who know the truth and who obey the truth, we do so only by the grace of God. Thirdly, the first 44, the third woe to these, uh, to these Pharisees. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. <laughs> Jesus um, pretty much you know, brings a very harsh condemnation here when, when he calls them concealed tombs. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees here had made them into what they thought Jesus was guilty of. They thought that he was unclean, but Jesus is now saying, no, you're the ones who are unclean. You're concealed tombs. According to the Law of Moses, Numbers 19.16 uh, specifically, a person who touched a grave became unclean for, for seven days. So therefore, graves were often carefully marked so that people would avoid touching them, especially when they were going to, to the temple to offer their worship and sacrifices. But Jesus calls these Pharisees and he says, because of your hypocrisy, you are like concealed tombs. You're tombs that are unmarked. You basically you're unclean and people that are coming near you they're becoming unclean and they don't even know it and you don't know it. They were so concerned with being clean but in reality they were unclean and they were leading others to be unclean as well in their hypocritical ways. And this challenge for all of us is that we who are religious who practice the Christian faith must ask ourselves this question Am I concerned with what is inside my heart, what is inwardly a reality, as I am with the outward rituals, the practices of my Christian faith. We're more, we tend to be more concerned with the outward rituals, the outward things, because they're the things that can be seen by others. It can be seen by our wife, by our husband, by our children, by our neighbors, by our pastor. But the inward reality of the heart, that's the one that no one sees. Which one are you more concerned about? The inward reality of your heart or the outward rituals? Certainly you should be concerned with both, right? The outward rituals in the sense that there are outward manifestations of our inward, of our inward reality, but we must be more concerned about the inward reality because that is what drives a true love for God and love for neighbors. Jesus says, woe, a warning to those of us who are religious hypocrites. Woe to hypocritical hearts. Secondly, we move on to another warning uh, that Jesus gives here in verses 45 to 52. And Jesus here in 45 to 52 pronounces a woe to legalistic hearts. Woe to legalistic hearts hearts in answering the Pharisee with his woes another individual at the dinner speaks up and here we are introduced to a scribe or a lawyer he's called a lawyer but he's a he's also known as a scribe verse 45 one of the lawyers said to him in reply teacher when you say this you insult us too the scri- the lawyer here is known also as a scribe or an expert in the law they're all synonyms for one another in the scriptures and they differed from the Pharisees in that the, while the Pharisees were a religious sect, the lawyer was a religious profession. Many lawyers tended to be Pharisees. The lawyers or scribes came really down from the tradition of Ezra, who according to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and his ordinances Israel. So these scribes made it their heart's goal and aim really to to study the Word of God, to practice the Word of God, and to teach the Word of God. That was their job. But in their zeal to teach others to keep the law, the lawyers and scribes began creating additional rules, we call these traditions, to help Israelites not to break the laws of God. And there's nothing wrong with creating traditions like this. But when these rules become a tradition and over time, when we elevate them to carry the weight of God's law, when we make them equal to God's word, that's where the problem happens. Jesus would condemn them in Matthew 15, 9 for teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Making traditions of men equal to the doctrines of God. They're not. We need to keep that distinction to understand the difference when something is just simply a precept of man, a tradition of man, and something that is a doctrine of God. Now, this particular lawyer felt offended by Jesus' words to his host. And and he thinks that Jesus has basically painted with too broad a brush. And so he quickly comes to Jesus and he he tries to correct Jesus. But Jesus responds with specific warnings and and gives an equally harsh word of woes to the scribe as well. And while these warnings are for all of us, they are especially relevant for those of us who teach God's Word. Jesus does not give a, a general warning here, uh, like he did in, in the first section. That same general warning of hypocrisy applies even as well to the scribes. But in verse 46 to 52, Jesus immediately goes into three specific warnings, three woes to these uh, lawyers and scribes. First of all, in verse forty-six, we read this. But he said, "Woe to you, lawyers, as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to wear, hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers." The lawyers here are 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 condemned for their legalism. They had created a whole system of traditions that essentially weighed down those who tried to follow them. It became, these rules became so burdensome. There was rules about how much, how you couldn't, so you would not, what you could do or would not, could not do, so you would not do work on the Sabbath. What you, and that's why Jesus often was condemned for even healing someone on a Sabbath. There was all these rules about ceremonially being clean or unclean, washing their hands in a certain way. You had to kind of wash with your hands down and not up, because if they drip down, then you become unclean. You had to use a certain a certain hand first before the other hand, pouring a certain amount of water and all these rules. And then, by the way, these rules, you can find them if you search Google the Mishnah, you'll see all the traditions about washings and cleanings and, and the rules of the Jewish faith of, at, that, at that time. But the legalistic scribes had created a whole system of rules and regulations that made it such a burden for ev- the average person to bear. It was impossible to remain ceremonially clean. And Jesus' woe upon these lawyers is a warning for us teachers today to guard from teaching our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own personal convictions as the Word of God. We need to be careful when we say, you know, hey, this is not in the Word of God, but here, I'm going to just say this to you. No, if it's not in the Word of God, don't bother saying it. If it's not from God's Word, you have no authority. Now, certainly if someone asks you, yeah, so what do you, what's your opinion on this? Oh, go ahead, and give it. But they're not asking. Don't put yourself in, as if you're teaching something, as if it's God's word when it's not. God will pronounce woe upon those of us who teach in this way, teaching our own, our own precepts as God's word. We are to teach God's word alone. What's ironic is that these scribes, these lawyers, they they came up with the rules, but Jesus condemns them too because they don't even follow the rules. They don't even touch those law, those burdens with their own fingers. Now, some have interpreted this to mean that they had no compassion for those they had taught, but the straightforward reading is that these teachers did not even keep their own traditions. They're like those who t- those who don't can do teach, you know. <laughs> uh but those who teach ought to do what they teach. Whether teaching the traditions of men or even the Word of God, many a teacher has been guilty of being a hypocrite. We all are. None of us are perfect. None of us live up to the words, these holy standards that God's Word calls for us to do. But if we don't, therefore that's when we need to come before the Lord and confess our sins and humbly come before Him. But we must be those who tell others to do what we ourselves are trying to do by the grace of God. The next woe is a lengthy one. Verse 47 through 51. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also, the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. The gist of this woe is that the scribes were just as culpable as their fathers, their forefathers, who had killed the prophets. They will be held accountable. In fact, they are more accountable, is Jesus' point. Their fathers, their forefathers had rejected the prophets throughout the, you just look in the Old Testament. Many times they rejected the prophets whom God sent. They rejected and 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 often had them killed. But these scribes, these lawyers were now, they were now building tombs to honor those prophets. Which outwardly seems like a good deed. Seems like a good thing. But in reality Jesus says, you're just like your father's. Prophetically, Jesus declares that they will reject God's prophets and apostles in the future. And they'll even kill and persecute some of them. The generation that lived in Jesus' day would be guilty of the blood of all the prophets, according to Jesus. From the first uh, first murder, and the murder of Abel, to the last murder in the Old Testament, at least in the, in the Hebrew uh, order, Zach, the, the death of Zechariah. That whole generation would be culpable and guilty. How so? Because when they rejected Jesus, the ultimate prophet, they were rejecting all the prophets who had come before, who had, through their words, through their prophesying, had pointed to the coming of this Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And now they're rejecting him, and in rejecting him, they reject all the prophets. And in that way, they agree with their forefathers, who killed all the prophets, instead of heeding the prophets who wrote the scripture they, they, that they, they wrote the scripture that they had studied. These scribes, in effect were guilty like their fathers rejecting the prophets, and then Jesus saved the worst woe for last verse fifty two the most condemning woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. The key of knowledge is a reference to scripture itself. How do we know anything It's through God's revealed word that's the key to knowledge and by adding their tradition to the, their traditions to the Word of God, these scribes had made people follow their external laws and completely and and kept them from understanding what is uh, the uh, the the purpose and meaning of God's word, which ultimately pointed them to the a Messiah, a Christ who would come and who would die for their sins, through whom faith in him would lead to salvation. But not only that, the scribes themselves, not only did they, by adding the laws, they clouded it for others so they would not see, they, they kept people from finding the key of knowledge, but they themselves did not enter they did not find the, enter into the kingdom of God. And instead, they kept others from entering as well. You know, it's kind of one thing, even in our society today, you know, you can do whatever you want for yourself, but just don't hurt other people. As soon as you start hurting other people, then woe upon you. These scribes, they were teaching these laws, and <clears throat> but these laws didn 't just end with them It was became a burden that hurt many people and prevented many from coming entering into the kingdom of God because they were so caught up in following the traditions of men as much as we may wish to follow scriptures and help others to do the same. We must always guard against legalism against raising up our traditions, our, our preferences, our, our, our own personal convictions as if it is the word of God for everyone else, adding our own, these rules and, and, and practices to the word of God so that they others are unable to bear them. When we do so, we make the Christian life about external acts, outward rituals, observed behaviors, rather than an inward reality, an inward right relationship with Christ that manifests in outward deeds. When the only way to the kingdom of God is through the internal act of faith in the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the grave, that is the only way, then we do great harm, we deserve great woe, we deserve great condemnation when we cloud that message with some other message about doing this, or wearing certain clothes, or watching certain shows, or not listening to certain music, or not going to those kinds of stores, or driving that kind of car, or whether you show up here on time or not on time, or whether you kind of bring whether you bring food here or not. Any of you guys eating? No, no eating or drinking during worship services. No eating or drinking. Just kidding. We especially we religious teachers, those of us who teach the word of God. Let us teach only the word of God. Let us not let us be, let us be people who have been given the word of God. Bring share this key of knowledge with others. And let us make sure that we ourselves enter through this key of knowledge into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And let us invite and teach this message of the good news of the gospel to others, who so they too can enter. Because. The Word of God is the only thing. The Gospel of God is the only message that saves. We must study the Scriptures, practice the Scriptures, and teach the Scriptures. We must guard against legalism. Uh, in my study, I came across uh, one commentary who listed four ways that legalism can manifest itself. And I've taken that, and I've sort of modified it, and, uh, but I borrowed it. And I wanted to share with you as four warning signs of legalism these are these are not necessarily legalism itself but these are characteristics of those who are legalists who are caught up in legalism when you're a legalist these things will manifest in your life and these are the four number 1 legalists often refuse to speak directly to those whose behavior bothers them you know, legalists have this system of rules and they'd like to judge other people. they say, oh, that person's doing that wrong. Oh, that person's doing that wrong. But you know what? We, they don't, what they ne- hardly ever do is they hardly ever go and talk to them about it. Because deep down they know that they're just, it's just a preference. It's a, it's a, maybe a personal conviction. It's not the word of God. That's a tendency. Not always. Some legalists are, are very happy, especially legalistic teachers. They're happy to teach other people and tell them how they ought to live even though it's not in the Word of God. Secondly, legalists often major in minors and ignore the major requirements of God. Legalists are going to be people who major in the minors. They're going to be make big things out of small things. They're going to ignore instead the major requirements of God. And the major requirements of God are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two majors. They're really one. Instead, we make make an issue about uh, about minor things. About what you wear and how you wash. How you comb your hair. Or what kind of facial hair you have. Or where you go and things like that. Minor things. <laughs> Thirdly, legalists are often quick to criticize. but uh, Excuse me. Legalists are often... Proud of their spirituality. Sorry. They're people who are proud, basically. We see this, we saw this in particular in the scribes and Pharisees, right? They're proud of who they are. Because they observe their outward rituals, they think they're spiritual. Maybe they are, in fact, even obeying the Word of God, but they find pride in it. They think they're better than others because they keep the Word of God or they keep their traditions. Legalists need to watch out for pride. It's often a tendency. And then lastly, legalists are often quick to criticize, but slow to help. Uh, <clears throat> legalists just are content with just making themselves feel good, the spiritual. And when they see others that are caught up in, maybe, uh, maybe not following the traditions, or even if they're caught up in sin, a lot of times they're not going to bother to help because just allowing people to continue in that way makes them feel good about themselves. Only, legalists tend to be only concerned about their own pride, their own, their own elevation of themselves. And so these are just kind of four things uh, that I finally came across. I oh, thought that was kind of helpful. Um, May they be helpful to you. Well, there's a last and final warning that Jesus gives, and that we find from this Word of God this morning, and that's in verse 53 to 54. And it's the woe to hardened hearts. Woe to hardened hearts. Verse 53 and 54. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Technically, there's no woe, of course, as you can read in these two verses. But Jesus has just warned in no uncertain terms that these Pharisees and scribes are in a dangerous place because of their hypocrisy, because of their legalism. He has mercifully really warned them that they might recognize their error and repent. But instead of repenting, what did the Pharisees do? The scribes and Pharisees, they doubled down on their opposition. They began to be very hostile. They were already hostile. Now they're very hostile to him. They begin questioning him closely on many subjects. <laughs> they're asking those, those gotcha questions, you know, like trying to capture Jesus. And Jesus, of course, answers all of them when, uh, with great skill. Most significantly, notice that they were plotting to catch him in something that he might say. They wanted to catch him in something so they would be able to discredit him, to show that he's a violator of the law, and so that others would, re- would uh, reject him. And ultimately, they're plotting so they would ultimately kill him, just as their fathers had killed the prophets. Though they had heard his words, they hardened their hearts. Brothers and sisters, perhaps the Lord has used his word this morning to be aware of your own hypocrisy or your own legalism or legalistic tendencies. I know the Lord has for me. If so, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. Don't continue to reject Jesus' words. Don't continue to live on in hypocrisy don't continue to hold to legalistic traditions. The more, when you do so, you are rejecting the warning of Jesus. And the more you do so, the more you harden your heart. And you harden your heart to a certain Judgment. But there is hope for all of us. And for those of us who are caught up in sin, caught up in our hypocrisy, caught up in legalism, we have hope in Christ. No matter what your sin is, in fact, our hope is in Christ. I want like to end with Jesus' final words or Jesus' words in Matthew eleven, twenty eight to thirty. And there Jesus said these words, and I think they're they're appropriate words for those of us who have hypocritical hearts or legalistic hearts, those caught up in sins of hypocrisy, legalism. These words of Jesus are what we need to hear. Jesus says in in these verses, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus' words were spoken to a society, a culture, that was burdened way down by legalistic rituals and rules and regulations that no one could keep. In fact, even the religious leaders themselves could not keep perfectly. And Jesus calls all who are weighed and wearied down by this legalism and even by sins and by hypocrisy, he calls them to come to him. He calls you to come to him. And Jesus promises to give you rest. Don't learn from those legalists. Don't learn from the traditions of men. Learn from him. Learn from his words. His words are give life. And Jesus is not a harsh master. Jesus is a gentle and humble master. And in him you will find rest for your souls. As you turn from your burdens of sin and cast them at the feet of Jesus and cry out in faith in Him, you will find rest for your souls. Because when you follow Jesus, when you follow His Word, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Brothers and sisters, if you're weighed down with sin, cast them away right now. Cast them to Jesus. Come to Him and take His yoke and take His burden because they are easy and they are light and you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, let us walk with all sincerity. Let us walk with genuineness before the Lord in faith in, in Jesus Christ, that we would have a, then therefore a, a love for him and a, that manifests in a love for our neighbors and that we reflect in all that we do in our lives. Let's pray. our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for these truths. Thank you for the warning that you've given to, to us today. Lord, we confess to you and ask for your forgiveness, for your hypocrisy, for our legalism. Oh, Lord, help us to live on the outside what is genuinely on the inside? Help us to be more concerned about our inward hearts than we are about our outward acts. Would help us to be men and women who love you, who love our neighbors, and that our deeds would come out of that. And Father, help us to throw away all our legalistic tendencies, to cast it all aside, Father, oh, Lord. Have mercy upon those of us who are teachers. Forgive us, Lord, for those times that we've, we've passed on our, our own traditions or convictions as your word. Help us be only faithful to teach your word and your word alone, scripture alone. And Father, help us to be people who help us to be those who follow the instructions of your word, that all might repent and come in saving faith in Jesus Christ, the one whom is our Master and Lord, whose burn in light, whose yoke is easy, in whom our souls can find rest. Lord, help us turn to Jesus. Guard us from hardening our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.